new sermon series um, and titled, Who Is This Man? And we're going to be talking about a guy named Jesus. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. <laughs> Who is this man? Jesus. Now, the goal of, of, of this series is this, is to take Jesus out of the box that we or culture has created for him in our lives. And as we approach Easter, before we take him out of the tomb, we take him out of the box that we have created in our lives for Jesus. Now, you might say, John, what the heck do you mean by created a box for Jesus? Like, what does that mean? So I'm, I'm going to tell you my story, my, my box. And through that, maybe you'll kind of be like, okay, I kind of see where you're going, going here. And then I'm going to, to talk about and probably hundreds of conversations that I have personally had with people about Jesus, I'm going to talk about some of the boxes that people traditionally put him in. I was raised in a um, really strict Christian home growing up, um, where my mom, she got saved when I was, I don't know, six months old or one year old or something like that. Maybe, you know, you know, Maybe I pushed her to get saved, you know, because I was such a bad child. Maybe she was like, I need some help because I'm going to kill this kid if I, don't, yeah. <laughs> if I don't get some help. Anyway, the bottom line is, is she started serving God uh, when I was really young. Um, and when she got saved, she got like saved, saved. <laughs> like radically saved. Like she was like, okay, my kids are not going to watch Care Bears. Because <laughs> there's demons in Care Bears. Not letting them watch Care no more He-Man toys. Like she had to buy to like pop the head off of all of my good old He-Man toys. Um, you know, I, I could not watch The Simpsons growing up because I think they said the D word, and that and that was just looked down upon. I mean, it, it was just crazy. Like she would not let me eat Lucky Charms. I did not have Lucky Charms until I was 13. Do you know how that feels as a kid, 13 years old, finally being able to eat Lucky Charms? And be like, Mom, you've kept these from me for 13 years? Are you serious? But, the, you know, the whole purpose why is because of the leprechaun on the box. I could not eat Count, Count Dracula cereal because of the vampire on the box. I mean, you know, my mom was like, you're going to be safe and you're going to like it. And then she would also make me watch these crazy rapture videos. Some of y'all are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. It was called The Prodigal Planet, Image of the Beast, A Distant Thunder, Left Behind, and Left Behind, or something. It was something like that. Where it was kind of the whole, the whole purpose of her making me watch that mess was to scare the living, literally hell out of me to make it to where I would, like, want to serve Jesus. And it worked. Like, those things scared the heck out of me because it made you think if you were doing anything wrong, at that moment where Jesus came back, when the trumpet blew, and he was coming down to get his people, if you were doing anything wrong at that moment, you were going to be left behind. And then you were going to have to get killed for your faith, and it was just going to be crazy, and, and, but it was like, you know, you might say, John, what, what, but look, what that did, did for me, it made me put Jesus in this box of Jesus basically being 
someone that is, that is just like over my shoulder, ready to pounce on me, ready to punish me if I did anything wrong. And he was just sitting there with a, a clipboard. And so I lived a fear-based faith for so long. I had a fear-based relationship with Jesus for so long because I just didn't want to go to hell. And some of y'all probably know what that's like. Now, fast forward, I received Jesus, started following him, 17 years old, went to Bible college, went into full-time ministry. And then, you know, that time, growing up, I was always taught where, where, like, if you do good things for Jesus, Jesus will do good things for you. Right? Like, if you do X, Y, and Z, God will then, Jesus will, will, will then be like, okay, my son is doing such a good job. I'm going to bless him with money. I'm going to bless him with a great job, a great spouse. I'm just going to bless him. And it was almost as if there was like, okay, I'm only going to do these things so Jesus will give me what I want. Right? And so whenever I went into full-time ministry, uh, that really didn't work out well. The, the, the first job, I came back home, and I was making 10 bucks per hour crawling houses, putting in floor joists, doing termite treatments. When I had gone to Bible college, I'd given my life for Jesus. And how did Jesus repay me? I'm going floor joists. Barely able to make ends meet. Barely able to take care of my family. Come on, Jesus, I gave you my life. And you give me 10 bucks an hour. I put Jesus into the box of being a genie. But if I just rubbed him the right way and did the right things, then he would give me what I wanted. So basically, I would, was, I was using Jesus as a means to my own end. I didn't see that then. But I had Jesus in a box. I'll probably say you've got Jesus in a box too. Now my box might be a tad bit different than your box. But based upon your past upbringing, church doctrine, experience, the crazy things your mom made you watch and do, um, the crazy things you did on your own, <laughs> the crazy religions that you tried out earlier, like you probably have got Jesus in some sort of box. And our goal with this sermon series is to, as we approach Easter and get Jesus out of the tomb, we first get Jesus out of the box that we or culture has put him in. Because I believe this, in our church today, we don't need new methods. We don't need any more Bibles. You have the Bible on your phone, for God's sake. Like, we don't need any more stuff. What I believe we need more than anything is a fresh encounter, a fresh revelation, a fresh vision of who in the heck Jesus is. So we want to help you. Get Jesus out of that stale, nasty box that you have him in and help you answer authoritatively, who is this guy? And let that fresh vision, revelation of who Jesus is push you 
into a new level in your relationship with Jesus. What are some other common boxes, though, that we have? Because I, I think we've got them. I've talked to countless people about Jesus, and it's just really interesting to see how Jesus gets put into crazy boxes. Like, just crazy boxes, right? You know, you got some feel-good feel Jesus. Jesus would never make you feel bad. He would never put you in an uncomfortable situation. Right? Jesus is safe. He's a safe guy. Jesus is just, is just all about making you feel good. I don't know about that. When you go through the Gospels and you read about Jesus... There were times where he intentionally said things to make people not feel so good. There was this, this one story in John chapter 6 where Jesus fed the 5,000. And I don't know about you, I like free food. So I tend to gravitate towards where there's free food. And that's the way many people treated Jesus. They were like, oh, this dude's giving out free food? He's making Burger King appear? I'm following that guy. Because if I follow him, he'll, he'll give us food. So, so many people was like, yo, this dude's going to treat us good. He's, he, he's going to make us feel good. And then Jesus intentionally taught them, told them something that was a hard teaching. He said this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. They were like, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> Pardon me. What did you say? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And, and this was right after Jesus talked, saying, saying, what? That he is the bread of life. He wasn't saying eat his physical flesh. He wasn't saying drink his physical blood. He was basically saying this. If, if you take what I am, am giving, if you smoke what I'm selling, don't think that's smoking weed, all right? But you get the point. If you take and use what I'm dishing out, if you take that and use it, you will have real, eternal life, not just physical life. You won't just have your physical body filled. You'll have that deep need in your soul filled. I didn't just come to feed you physical food. I came to feed your spirit. I, I came to meet the deepest need in your soul, not just a physical need. Well, after that, those people that were there for Burger King, Scripture actually says this, that they turned back and no longer followed Jesus. And Jesus looked at his 12 disciples and he was like, are y'all going too? And they were like, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. They got it. They got what Jesus was doing. But look, Jesus, the whole purpose of Jesus coming was not to make you feel good. The purpose of Jesus coming was to bring change in the deepest, darkest recesses of who you are, and that is your heart. Right? Jesus goes past the physical flesh into our deepest need, and that is in our spirits. So if you, are, if you have Jesus in a box of, he's only here to make me feel good, I guarantee whenever you don't feel good, you're going to be like, oh, not going there. Oh, no longer follow, follow, no longer follow him. Here's the deal. Jesus brought good news, but, but the good news starts with bad news. The good news is Jesus came to save us. The bad news is we're all in trouble. And we all need saving. But the bad news leads 
to good news because, yes, there is bad news, but there's also a good Savior that loves you and cares for you and showed how much he loved you by dying on the cross in your place and for your sin. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, Jesus did not just come to make you feel good. He came to meet your deepest need. Another box I think we kind of put him in is scorecard Jesus. And, and I was kind of like this somewhere. You think Jesus, some of you think Jesus is like, has got this kind of like golf scorecard. Where it's kind of got like pars on, you know, it's kind of got like pars on there. So you, you got like a par four, a par five. Oh, John got a bogey today. Said too many cuss words. Yep, oh, John got left a box. Oh, yep, he got a seven, he got a double bogey. John helped people across the road. He got a birdie. Got an eagle today, you know, and, and it's like we just put Jesus in this box of just basically saying he's walking with this scorecard, like wanting you just to get a positive score, so then if you get the right positive score, you get into heaven. Well, Jesus in John chapter 8 was in basically a church teaching, and, and these Pharisees, the, the religious elite of that day, bring in a woman who's caught in the middle of adultery. Like, if you're caught in the middle of adultery, and you just take her out, I don't know if she has a lot of stuff on. So just imagine this scene for me. They, cut, they take this woman that's caught in the act of adultery, take her into a church service, and throw her before Jesus, who's sitting in the synagogue teaching. And they're like, hey, uh, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Our law, what we see here, says she should be stoned. Hey, yo, Jesus, you're such a great big bad teacher, healing people, saying, oh, you've heard it said, but now I say, what do you have to say to this, Jesus? And Jesus, you know, Jesus is an OG. You know, Jesus kind of gets down on one knee and just kind of starts writing. You know, and, and, and they're all like, what the heck is this, this, this dude doing? And Jesus gets up and Jesus says, yeah. He who is without sin, what? Throw the first stone. Basically, what, what Jesus did there, he took the scorecard that we think is so important and threw it out. And what he told them was, in a very, in a very unique way, he told them, your self-righteous attitude is just as bad as her adultery. Your self-righteous spirit and attitude that you use to look down on people and put them down and basically oppress people, that attitude you have towards them is just as bad as what she's done. And what does it say? One by one, they just walked away. They were like, mic drop, Jesus. Like, <laughs> done. They walked away one by one. And Jesus bends down to her. And he says, hey, is anyone condemning you? Then he said, what? Neither do I. Because the only voice that truly matters is Jesus' voice. What he says about you. But then he also told her, go and sin no more. It was grace and truth, but it began with grace. If you have a box that you have Jesus in, if he is a scorecard keeping God, you got to break that box. Because the bottom line is this. We're all screwed up score on on, on scorecards. Scripture tells us this. All have sinned and fall short. You know what all means in Greek? All. <laughs> like you look up all in the Greek language, it means all. Like every one of us. You, me, your mama, your uncle, that, that nice grandma that, that you have. We are all fall short. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yes, we all fall short, but we all have the opportunity if we throw our scorecard out and receive by grace through faith what Jesus did on the cross for us. What he did is credited to our uh, to, to, to our account. Uh, and when people see us, they don't see, or, or when God sees us, he doesn't see what we've done. He sees what Jesus did. And that is whenever you accept by faith what he did, it's credited to us. Your sin has been paid for and you're righteous in the sight of God. But it's not by your doing, it's by his doing. Throw the scorecard out. Another box is good guy Jesus. Like, Jesus is such a good guy. He's just a nice feller. Just a nice old chap. You know, like, he just walks, walks around and talks like this. How are you doing? God bless you. And he's just gentle. Gentle as a dove. Doesn't want to hurt anybody. Doesn't want to make a stir. Doesn't, doesn't want to pluck any, pluck any feathers. He's just here. A good teacher, nice teacher. I just, I, you know, that whole box, nice people, like really good guys, don't form a whip. Go into a, go into the temple, like while church is going on, and start flipping tables, and start driving people out. And start saying stuff like, my house will be called a house of prayer. You guys have made it the den of robbers. Jesus was passionate. Jesus was fiery. Like, Jesus was not going to put up with foolishness in his temple. Yes, Jesus, I'm sure he was a nice guy. The kids loved him. He said, he said hey, bring the kids to me. Yes, awesome, great. But at, the, but at the same time, when it required passion, when it required him to also not always be Nice, Jesus said, hey, I'll do what I got to do. So we can't just say Jesus is just some nice guy. Jesus is a passionate, passionate person. Maybe, uh, maybe you have seen this one, political Jesus. Jesus was only our president. You know, we just had a Christian senator. We just had a Christian president. We just had a Christian this, Christian. But you know, I mean, people tried to get Jesus into politics all the time. They're like, Jesus, we're under this Roman oppression. This crazy Roman king just keeps not giving the Jews what we want. Why don't you, since you're so powerful, awesome, great, you pray and stuff happens. Hey, why don't you come and save us? Be our, be our king, be our, be our president. Jesus wouldn't have none of that. Because Jesus knew true change is not legislated. True change does not happen by people signing papers. Change happens in people's hearts is where it ultimately happens. And that is why Jesus did not come as, as what? A politician. He came as a savior, a humble servant, and said, let me show you an upside-down kingdom. You see Rome trying to rule by power, force, and fear. Crucifixion, that, that, is, what, that is how... The, the Romans ruled. They ruled by strict fear. They said, if you go against us, who is being crucified now? This will happen to you. And Jesus, who was king of all, he kind of, you know, created the world. 
He came and he said this, let me show you what true leadership, what true servanthood is. It's giving yourself up so others can live. He came and turned what power looks like upside down. He said it is not by just power, rule, and fear, and coercion. It, it is by humbly loving, serving, and laying your life down for those that you have authority over. He turned power upside down. Jesus is not a political tool to legislate righteousness. Jesus came to go down and bring change into the deepest, darkest recesses of our souls, and that is our hearts. Amen? Lastly, fairy tale Jesus. Some of y'all think Jesus is a fairy tale. Yeah, those are good mythical stories. They're, they're cute. Cute mythical stories. But let me say something right now. If you don't believe the Gospels are valid and true, you cannot believe any other historical document is in any way true. The New Testament, especially the Gospels, pass every single literary Secular literary test for being valid and true. Check it out. Look it up. Let's have a, a conversation later. I got time to preach all, all of that stuff. Okay, go go and check it out, though, and we'll have a, a conversation. So if you think the stories of Jesus are just fairy tale literature, then you can't believe anything in history. You can't believe anything written thousands of years back. Why? Because it passes every single literary text. There's over 5,000 manuscripts of New Testament texts. That basically, yes, there are small grammatical errors in it, but the bottom, but the bottom line is the, the message, the big parts in it, all correlate from thousands of years back to right now. What box do you have Jesus in? And why is this so important? Like, why does it say, John, why do I need to get Jesus out of this box? Because I'm telling you, the purpose of Lifehouse Church is not to get you to love Lifehouse. Amen. It's not. The purpose of Lifehouse isn't to just get you on board with, with a cool church. The purpose of Lifehouse is to help you see, know, and love Jesus. Like, we want to show you who Jesus is and get the heck out of the way. So you can see him clearly, and you can see him for who he is, because I believe this. We don't need more methods. We don't, we don't need more Bibles. We don't need more better worship music. We, don't, like, we just need to see Jesus, who he is, because I think we have, have got a lack of passion in the church because we don't see Jesus for who he is. We have him watered down and sanitized, thinking he's just a nice guy here to just make us feel good. And no, Jesus is a passionate Savior that loves you, the king to earth, to seek and save lost people, and die on a cross in your place and for your sin to bring you life. And what, do we, and, and, and what do we do? What, what do we treat him as? Oh, just, yeah, he's in the box. He's a fairy tale. He's feel-good Jesus. He's just someone scared. He's got a, a scorecard over you. No wonder people have a lack of passion for Jesus in his church. Because you will only serve and love and give to, to, G, to the Jesus that you perceive or see. So if you see Jesus as being a fear-based leader, fear-based leadership only works for about two years. 
And so you're like, I'm sick of following this dude. Like, I'm, I'm sick of this always being scared that I'm going to do something wrong and I'm going to break rules and all of this, this stuff. No, it's whenever you see Jesus for who he is, that he loves you, he's full of grace, and he's full of truth. You see, I, my prayer in, in this series, Paul prayed this. In, in the book of Ephesians, Paul, he was a church planner. And he would basically go and plant churches. He wrote one-third of the New Testament. And Paul, he planted this church in the city of Ephesus. And one of the things he would do is write letters to these churches that he would plant. And sometimes in those letters, he would write down prayers for that church. And I just, you know, I read this this morning, and I was like, I want to read this to this congregation so you guys can know what I am praying for you as we go through this series leading up to Easter. Can we, can we put it up there? Did you, did you get that? Yeah, okay, good, awesome. Just wanted to make sure I said it late. This is what Paul prayed, though. He said, I keep asking that the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, so I'm praying that God will give you, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength, and we should have gone through verse 20, that's my fault, that it's the same as, as the mighty strength that was in Jesus Christ when he was raised from the dead. Paul here prays three things, that you would see the hope that you have. My prayer is you would see the hope that Jesus gives. You know, priest, just, just give you hope. Secondly, that you would see the power that you have in Jesus to overcome sickness, to overcome disease, to overcome feelings, to overcome anxiety, to overcome fear, to overcome doubt. And the third thing, I can't remember it. Uh, he inherited his, his glorious inheritance, basically saying this heaven, like that you would know this thing does not lead to just some kind of whatever. It leads to spending eternity with Jesus. We need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is, but how the heck do we get Jesus out of the box? I want to help you today. I want to give you a couple things really, really quick as we close out to get Jesus out of the box that you have created for him. I don't, I don't know what your box is. But I believe if we do these three things, you'll get Jesus out of the box that you've created for him. Number one, let Jesus speak for himself. Let Jesus speak for himself. It's so funny how we, like, we, we, I mean, a lot of us don't even, like, read the Bible. And we have basically a second-hand experience of what Jesus said. You're like, I've grown up in church. Yeah, but have you read it for yourself? Not what you got from some other preacher. Not what you got from some website. Not what you got from me. Have you actually read what Jesus said? Have you actually checked out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they're like, I'm not a reader. Okay, there's audiobooks. <laughs> well, I don't like audiobooks. Well, they got movies. There's plenty of Jesus movies. Like, I don't care what your flavor is. DVD, HVD, VHS, 4K, 10K, whatever. Audio book, book, child's book. Get a kid's Bible. I don't care. 
But have you actually, for yourself, let Jesus speak for himself to you? Instead of what I say, instead of what other pastors, preachers say, in, instead of what your friends have said, instead of what you've read online, article-wise, have you actually just said, Jesus, I would, like, I'm going to actually read about you from, from, from your followers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, and I'm going to actually let this like speak to me. Because many of us just get a second-hand experience from what someone else said. But I would challenge you with this. Let Jesus speak for himself. We are so quick to make Jesus in what we want him to be. How about we let him be who he is? Who he says he is. Not what we want him to be. Not box we want him to fit in. Why don't we just open up and be like, Jesus, I'm an open book. Instead of myself coming and saying, Jesus, you're going to be like this. What if you did the opposite and, and you said, Jesus, make me whatever you want me to be. But let's just be honest. So many of us want Jesus to conform and be in a box that we create for him because it's comfortable for us and it helps us to do what we want to do. So we basically say, Jesus, I'm going to use you to, I'm going to create you into this thing that I want you to be so I can do what I want to do so I don't have to actually follow what, what you said. Y'all, this is too big of a game. It's so much bigger than that. If that's who you want Jesus to be, you're missing it. Let Jesus speak for himself. And, and I would challenge you, as we approach Easter, and Easter is April 1st this year, I know you're busy, you got kids, you got stuff going on, but I know you binge watch net, on Netflix too. So I, I know you got time. I know time ain't the problem. I know you're like, well, I, I need to defrag. I need defrag. I need me time. Defrag. I get it. I totally get it. But is that worth not knowing who Jesus is? I get it. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm not trying to do uh, do a scorecard here. But my my whole thing is is, is if, if you want Jesus, if, let him speak for himself. And typically, whenever someone talks to you, like you've got to create space, you've got to create margin, you've got to create an atmosphere for him to actually speak. <laughs> and so I would just challenge you, get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and don't be in there looking at it with, with a huge scientific mind. Well, this is a, just read it. Just, just, just let Jesus speak for himself and who he is, because we cannot listen or read what Jesus said and just throw it out, oh yeah, whatever. Because the stuff that Jesus said is too important and too world-altering for us to just take it and throw it out. We've got to eventually answer the question, who in the heck is this guy? And so I would challenge you, let Jesus speak for himself. Number two, don't be afraid of doubts. Unfortunately, the church has been a terrible place to doubt. Right? You think you have to check your brain at the door, just believe everything. And, and, and just, you know, you know, and some of you have, have that. Like, you think that Jesus is, is kind of this, you know, you believe all of this stuff first, and then you can follow him. That is not the way it, it that's not the way it is, y'all. If you have faith of, of a mustard seed, a mustard seed, you can follow Jesus. But I would just start the journey. 
And don't be afraid of doubting. Because trust me, I've got doubts. You've got doubts. We all got doubts. And the craziest thing is, is, I mean, you know there's a guy in the Bible that's called Doubting Thomas? Like, that's his nickname. I doubt he would have doubted if he knew he'd have been 2,000 years later. He's labeled as the Doubting Thomas guy. And I mean, that, I mean that, is, that is like Michael Jordan, heir, you know, it's like 2,000 years later. Like, this dude has a nickname, 2,000 years later, of Doubting Thomas. Where this dude, he saw Jesus die on the cross. He was one of, he was one of Jesus' 12, so he heard Jesus teach and all that stuff. And he, uh, you know, Jesus rose from, from death. And scripture says, you know, that, that some of the other disciples came to him and said, Jesus is alive. And Thomas was like, I don't think so. I don't know what y'all smoking, but I don't think so. I saw him die. And what Thomas said was, unless I see the nail holes in his hands and, and the, the scar in his side, I'm not going to believe it. So then Jesus shows up while, while they're just randomly eating. You know, and I'm glad I wasn't Jesus. Because I would, like, show up and go right up into Thomas's face and be like, What? What? You see me now? You know, I would do something, you know, it's just, just stupid. I'm glad I'm not Jesus because I, I, I would have said no. But, but, but like, you, you just see him. He goes up to him. And he says, Hey, Thomas, look, man, put your, put your hand in it. Put your hand here. Finger here. Jesus was gracious in his doubts. He wasn't saying, you, you know, it's like, and I want to say that to you. Jesus will be gracious with you in your doubts. Don't let doubts keep you from starting to follow Jesus. Because you, it's not if you doubt, but when you doubt. Because there's a lot of doubtful things. Be straight up with you. It's hard watching bad things happen to good people. Like, any person that has a sense of God's justice in them, whenever they see good people suffering, how can you not be like, why does that happen? I've been there. I've worked through it. And I've said this, when you can't trace God's hand, you've got to trust God's heart. We see a microcosm of a huge span of eternity. God sees the whole thing. In the same way, my two-year-old son is going around walking around. He wants to pick up uh, a, uh, what do you call that thing? A cigarette butt and put it in his mouth to eat it. And I'm like, give me that thing, bro. He will eat that thing and get sick and he gets all mad. My dad won't let me eat a cigarette butt. What? What he perceives as being bad is actually good. Like, I'm, I'm helping him. But he only sees a limited perspective. I see the full perspective of what he does when he eats that cigarette butt. So it's like, don't let doubts keep you from following Jesus. As a matter of fact, let doubts draw you closer to Jesus. Let your doubts draw you closer. Because here's the deal. A true doubter, someone that's seriously doubting, if you have the right heart with your doubts, you will press in rather than pull back. Because typically, people say that they're, they're doubting to justify the certain lifestyle they want to live. 
But if you are seriously, you've got doubts, but you really want to find out what the heck, and whatever, let it push you. Let it push you into deeper conversations. We welcome you to doubt here. We welcome that. Because Jesus isn't scared of your doubts. And we're not scared of them either. Thirdly, realize you're on a journey, y'all. This relationship with Jesus is an utter journey. What time is it? I haven't even checked it. I'm like 11.30. Okay, good. But it is a journey of ups, downs, peaks, valleys, wins, losses. But if you have the mindset that this is a marathon, in light of the one city marathon, walking with Jesus is a marathon. It's going to have ups, downs, peaks, valleys, wins, and losses. But as, as you just kind of work to break down that box, you will, you will see Jesus will be different. Jesus will be and seem different in different seasons of your life. But Jesus can be and will be what you need in whatever season you're in. Let Jesus speak for himself. Give him your doubts. And know this is a journey. And I believe this. But if you will be brave enough to follow Jesus wherever he leads, the promise is this. He came to give life and life abundantly. I know that as we take that journey, not only personally but corporately, through the wins, the losses, the pains, the doubts, all of that stuff, we will see. We'll have a fresh revelation of who Jesus is, and it will give us a passion and a desire. It'll give us a hunger to be more like him than we have ever felt. I'm 15 years in of passionately serving serving Jesus, and I am more bought in now than I've ever been. You might be at year one. You might be at week four. You might be at year nine, and, and you're struggling. You're bitter. You're mad, angry. God didn't, did, God, didn't, God didn't do what you wanted him to do. Jesus didn't do what you wanted him to do, and you're just angry, bitter. Sometimes the most spiritual powerful thing you can do is just not to give up giving up feels good now but you'll pay for it later i want to invite everybody to follow jesus and get on this this journey of realizing and having a fresh revelation of who jesus is